The methods of paddling backwards or sideways or turning on the edge of a current, if you combine your force against the current's force to make the canoe slide or move to where you want to go, you can avoid most obstacles. It's like dancing after a while. If you get the right partner and the right skill set, then of course the, the new canoe designs are amazing. Yeah, it's magic. That is Wally Shaber, Canadian whitewater and canoeing legend and adventure travel pioneer. He joins us to talk about why the churning waters of Quebec's Des Moines River is his favorite paddling destination on this episode of Explore, a Canadian Geographic podcast. Welcome to all you explorers out there, armchair and in motion. I'm your host, David McGuffin. Now that we're deep into paddling season, we're kicking off what I hope to be a series of interviews on that most Canadian of recreations, canoeing. And there are few people more qualified or more passionate about all things canoe than Wally Shaber. As the founder of Black Feather Wilderness Adventures and Trailhead Outfitters, for more than 50 years, he's led trips down Canada's most iconic rivers, many in the Arctic, like the Nahani, the Hood, the Coppermine, the Mackenzie, paddling with everyone from the likes of former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau to his canoeing mentor, Bill Mason. But when it came time to write a book about his favourite river, it was one much closer to his home in West Quebec's Gatineau Hills, the Des Moines. His book, The Last of the Wild Rivers, explores the Des Moines' deep history and his own experiences on this beautiful, unspoilt stretch of water just a few hours from Ottawa, a place that he's known since childhood. Before we travel with Wally down the Des Moines, here's your regular reminder that Canadian Geographic is Canada's single greatest magazine dedicated to our landscape, wildlife, people, cultures, environment, and more. Every issue is packed with award-winning reporting and photography and maps. A subscription is just $28.50 a year for six print issues and full digital access. And you also become a member of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society. To get a subscription for yourself or as a great gift for others, go to canadiangeographic.ca forward slash subscribe. You'll be glad you did. And now on to Wally Shaber, who I met up with in my kitchen on Meach Lake, where he also lives. Wally Shaber, welcome to the Explore podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. And you're a bit of a canoe legend in Canada and you paddled the most famous rivers in this country, the wildest, the remotest. And it really struck me looking at your book, The Last of the Wild Rivers, about the Des Moines River here in the Ottawa Valley, that when you wrote a book, you wrote about this river. And I'm just curious what it is about this river that you feel connected to. Well, that's a complicated question. Yes, I've been, I've been lucky enough to paddle all the great rivers in the Northwest Territories, or most of them. And that's a, that's a serious commitment to go up to the Northwest Territories. And it, uh, it is a lifetime uh, achievement to, to paddle some of those mm-hmm. Nahannies and Copper Mines and all those rivers. But really, uh, the nice thing about getting to know a river is that you can access it. And the Des Moines River in the Ottawa River watershed is, to me, the perfect combination of adventure and beauty and wilderness and history. So just that recipe that it has over other rivers really attracted me to it. Mm-hmm. And what makes it the last of the wild rivers? <clears throat> Why that title? I picked that title because when you look at all the tributaries that flow into the Ottawa River, there's only one that really doesn't have a, a village or a dam or a, 
industrial complex on it, and that's the, the Des Moines River. So we picked the title just to be a little bit of a hook, really, but, uh, but it is true. It's the last of the undammed wild river tributaries of the Ottawa. Which is incredible, because the Ottawa is, I mean, that's a, it's a massive river system, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful river with the water flowing from uh, both sides, uh, Ontario and Quebec. Of course, the whole territory was not known as Ontario and Quebec in the beginning. It was the home territory of the Algonquin Nation, and uh, still remains so, unceded, actually. So Yeah, no, absolutely. And Canadian Geographic Headquarters are on the Ottawa River now, sort of at the meeting point of the Rideau and the Gatineau. And sometimes when I'm introducing this, I'll say, you know, we're based uh, on the Ottawa River, one of the world's great exploration routes, right? And it really, for thousands of years, has been that. And I'm, where does the Des Moines fit into that matrix of, of exploration? You're absolutely right. The the 401 of the 16th and 17th century was yeah. the Ottawa River. I yeah. mean, everybody that wanted to access the West or explore South or West or North started in Montreal or Quebec City and paddled straight North up the Ottawa, up the Mattawa, into the Georgian Bay, and then from there took any one of several directions to uh, to display cover what they wanted. They used to call it the three G's. People were searching for God, gold, or glory. <laughs> so the the priests, the Jesuit priests, and the people that followed them later uh, were part of that first wave that were trying to take the word of God to the uh, First Nations. Uh, gold uh, in that time was, was furs, beaver furs. So uh, there were countless free traders and licensed traders that went in all directions to uh, try to trade for the furs. And glory was, there was a whole level of military that uh, started in Quebec uh, to uh, try to maintain the Quebec trading uh, area, open it, keep it open against Hudson Bay in the north and uh, the Iroquois in the south. So. So yeah, it's a, it's a spectacular history that goes right up to uh, Franklin, for example, went up the Ottawa River, laid one of the cornerstones of the Parliament buildings, and uh, that shows you how late the Ottawa River was uh, as a main transportation route. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if you look at the Des Moines then, before that sort of whole system network of trading was going on, there was obviously a First Nations network of trading. And... So who who is living there? What was and the river wasn't called Des Moines, I'm guessing at that point either too. So what was the name of the river and who who was living there and what was the pattern of life there? Yeah, it was. Uh, if you can imagine the nation called the uh, Algonquins and Anishinaabe speaking people, they had as their territory all of the drainage of the Ottawa River. The, the structure of the nation at that time was a series of bands or uh, groups of families that would choose to unite together. And each family band was awarded or designated a tributary as their hunting territory. And after they were designated that tributary within themselves, they would designate maybe a thousand square miles for one family to use as their hunting territory. So. There was an actual Des Moines band that consisted of maybe 12 to 15 families that went from the headwaters of the Des Moines to the Ottawa River. That wasn't their only territory, that was their winter territory. The general seasonal transportation habit 
of of the band was to hunt in the winter uh, on the Des Moines, and in the summer they would travel to trade or meet with other band members, socialize, arrange marriages. They would go to where some spectacular uh, migration of eels or whitefish or pick blueberries. They would go to different areas within the whole watershed to, uh, to survive and enjoy life. That was the history of the Des Moines. The, the name, the Algonquin name, the translation of it is very interesting because it, uh, the lake that is pretty well the source, not the actual source, but Lac Des Moines, mm-hmm. has a series of uh, five arms or five bays that extend one in each direction. And uh, from that, a uh, river either flows in or flows out of Lac Des Moines. And the name, uh, the translation of the name that the Algonquins gave to Lac Des Moines was Go Home Lake mm-hmm. or Go Anywhere Lake. And of course, they applied that to the main river that f- flowed out of it as well. And uh, so that was the original name of the River Des Moines. The name that we know, uh, Riviere Des Moines, I think was a translation uh, by the French of some sort of conversation they had with the Algonquins. Where does this river go? And at the time, there was some oblate fathers that were setting up a mission way up above Lac Des Moines, and they would travel from the Ottawa River up the Des Moines, up to Grand Lake Victoria to set up this mission. So the the common belief is that the Algonquins told the French, this is the river that the monks travel. Uh, (laughs) Therefore, the... The, the French gave it the name Riviere de Moines, River of the Monks. Now, there's lots of debate about whether that's true or not, and we shouldn't be using that name. We should be using the original Algonquin name. But either way, it's, uh, it's a fantastic history. There's 500 years of written history there, and uh, oral history goes beyond that. Yeah, and <laughs> to what extent is that landscape, say, 500 years ago, rec- would it be recognizable now? Like, how much has the landscape changed, would you say? The big changes to landscape, of course, were the glaciation, uh, and that was 10,000 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, other than fires and forestry, uh, there, there wouldn't be too many impacts because it is an undammed river. Yeah. So uh, forestry began about 1840, the first market for the timber uh, was to uh, take the timber to uh, Quebec City, load them on British ships, and away they would go to be turned into uh, lumber in, in London or, or one of the other big ports in the UK. And that process took so long to get the logs to Quebec City that it was about a two-year cycle to cut the logs, float them, get them there, sell them, and get your money back. And it, a very difficult process. Then suddenly, a whole bunch of mill sites right here in Ottawa were leased out. Maybe a dozen mills were built within five years from 1850 to 1860 right here at Shawnee Falls. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, uh, allowed the logs to have a much shorter trip to market. And uh, that completely changed the logging in, uh, in the Des Moines, and they could cut right up to Lac Des Moines and get the logs to market quickly. And then finally, the last era was pulp and paper when uh, they cut the short softwood logs and uh, could float them down uh, and pull them in large booms down to uh, E.B. Eddy's plant or J.R. Booth's plant here in Ottawa, turn them into paper and sell them 
Usually the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> Specifically the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> well, that was one of them, New York Times, yeah. any of the old papers, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Was, so then the forest you see now paddling down is probably then 150 years old. Is it, would that be right? Or has it been... uh, there are pockets that we can find that are that big. Yeah. You know, if you fly over the area, yeah. you'll see that there's still some cutting going on. Yeah. And uh, all of the logs uh, stopped being floated down the river in 1960. And they started to truck the logs to the Ottawa River and then float them only on the Ottawa River to Chaudière Falls uh, Mills uh, until 1990. Mm. Now that whole process is done by trucks. And <laughs> actually the, uh, the forest industry is going through quite a transition right now. So uh, recreation is becoming a, an important element and conservation, of course, uh, in, in the history of the Des Moines. And that's where my history in the Des Moines started. I, I started there in 1969 as a young counselor for a recreation project for a camp called uh, On the Dawa. <laughs> and uh, that camp was originally uh, an Ottawa YMCA camp located at Golden Lake. And in the uh, mid-60s, it was decided that that camp was getting too soft. We had to find a real wilderness base camp for uh, young men to start over again. So uh, actually, it was uh, somebody right here on Meech Lake, Barry Bryant, that uh, led the search for that new campsite or base camp. And uh, he picked uh, Ten Mile Lake, one of the sources right near Lac Des Moines, and Logistically, it was a it was a spectacular uh, base to start your canoe trips out. Uh, practically, it was just too thick with black flies to, <laughs> to make a make a pleasant. Uh, but uh, for two years, we ran uh, trips out of there uh, in big circles up into Lavarondre and Kippewa Reserve, and we weren't allowed to paddle whitewater in in the first years. And then finally, in 1969. Uh, Barry said, okay, the last trip of the year, you, you can lead a trip out to get the canoes down to the Otter River. And I started out with six canoes and ended up with four. So yeah. <laughs> obviously I didn't know what I was doing in 1969 and, yeah. and made, tried to make it a, a life school to, to figure that out. Yeah, it's, the canoes were more fragile back then. They, were, they were cedar canvas, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's not a good excuse because the first commercially-led boys' trip was in 1909 by Camp Kiwaden, and they had Algonquin guides, and a lot of these guides uh, learned all about the river on working on the river drives, so they knew the rapids uh, frontwards and backwards, and uh, they used the birch bark canoes and later cedar canvas wow. canoes for you, and they still do. They're amazing, uh, their camp. Still goes down the Des Moines with traditional equipment. Cedar canvas. Yep. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it's great. Wow, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd have the guts to do that. Um, so, I mean, just describe that river then, like the experience of going down there. I mean, it, there's how many sets of rapids and what's that landscape like? And Well, I'll backtrack on that a bit. Today, the Des Moines is an aquatic uh, reserve, preserved within the... Uh, the Quebec system has uh, protection against major development. Any logging or mining or uh, hydro project has to go through uh, the aquatic reserve qualifications, and it just wouldn't qualify, I hope. So uh, that uh, aquatic reserve status has been extended to two other rivers in the area, the uh, Coulange and the Noir. 
together they're called the three sisters because uh, they they tend to attract the same type of person doing those three rivers. And the Des Moines is actually an interesting corridor for wildlife too, because to the south is uh, Gonquin Park and to the north is Laverandre Park. So having this wilderness area preserved, not only a recreational corridor, but as a wildlife corridor mm. is, is pretty exciting for for those of us that, that like to share the landscape with <laughs> yeah. with as many things and people as we can. So so the uh, the source of Des Moines is uh, just above Lac Des Moines, uh, a very small lake, a Lac Machine, and it comes out as a trickle of uh, a creek uh, that you paddle through uh, a serpentine creek uh, with overhanging alders. And interestingly enough, uh, rivers uh, like the Kippewa and the Des Moines had several names depending on what section you were paddling. And uh, one of the names for the Des Moines was the Alder River, mm. and that would be the section uh, from the source into Lac Des Moines. Uh, after Lac Des Moines, or Go Home Bay, or Go Anywhere Bay, you can travel uh, to or from Kippewa Reserve, Agonquin Reserve, from the headwaters of the Kalunge or the headwaters of the Noir, and, and go down the Des Moines River. So, so you can plan a trip that's anywhere from three weeks to three days on the Des Moines. So after Lac Des Moines, it begins with, with some nice rapids. And then uh, there's a series of seven portages on the river. Uh, every other rapid with some whitewater scale is classified as a class two or three mm-hmm. in medium water level, which means that a fully loaded canoe can negotiate yeah. uh, negotiate down that. So the largest portage is uh, at uh, the major drop on the river. Uh, it's called Grand Chute. Beautiful, beautiful uh, physical location. It drops about 50 feet over uh, three uh, cascades and then empties into a canyon that also has a series of four rapids that you mm-hmm. have to negotiate down. So that is the major physical fault uh, I mean, a fault line on yeah. the river. And there's also, at that same parallel, there's one on the Clunge, one on the Loire. So obviously, there's something was going on yeah, <laughs> geographically. So you portage uh, Grand Chute, and then below that, there's some beautiful rapids, and it takes you another day below Grand Chute to paddle out to the Ottawa. And yeah. The Ottawa River, when they built a dam at the village called Rapide de Chouachem, which is the gateway to the Des Moines. Mm-hmm. When they built a dam there, it also flooded the mouth of the Des Moines River and flooded out uh, about four kilometers worth of rapids. So today, yes, that was a good point. You asked me, what's the difference between 500 years ago and today? That's the biggest difference, is that in the old days, up to 1950, you would have a hair-raising class two, three whitewater ride right out into the mouth of the Ottawa River. And uh, today that's all flat water. So. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. What's your favorite set of rapids then on that river? When we first started canoeing there, um, we had one to 50,000 topographic maps, but there were no names. There was a couple of old logging names, uh, Big Steel and Little Steel, and uh, Grand Chute, of course. But the rest of them, in the intense day of rapids, you can't tell one from the other. So we started to name the rapids ourselves. And very early on, one of them uh, we called Canoe Eater Rapids yeah. <laughs> because we bent and, and left so many canoes. Uh, yeah. We had to rescue them off the rocks there until we 
after we learned uh, how to do whitewater properly. And, of course, until Royal X was invented, which made all of us good canoeists <laughs> <laughs> compared to the days of Grumman and Cedar Canvas and things like that. So I guess that's my favorite because there's also, uh, aside from the challenge, there's a, there's a beautiful campsite at the end of it that mm. you, can, you can spend the evening telling lies about your skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, our, the trip I did in 84 or whenever that was, was we wrapped a canoe, a Grumman around, I'm not, might've been that set of rapids, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. 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 We have some fun names. There's another one called Eye of the Needle, which is a, a very short rapid, but the, the challenging route is to go in between two boulders that are about four feet above your, your knuckles on the, on the, as you paddle through them. So eye of the needle, you have to go through th this little eye of between the two boulders, which is makes it a lot of fun. There, yeah, there's, there's a lot of great rapids. Red Pine Rapids is beautiful with a campsite at each of the five rapids in Red Pine. So, yeah. you know, there's so many different ways to paddle a river. You can do it in a week, two weeks, a, go on a day trip from yeah. Grand Chute down. It, it's a lovely, lovely river. Yeah, I remember the rapids. I also remember there was a sort of a blissful, like it seemed like a fairly long stretch, hundreds of meters long of just fast water. And we all just sort of lay, <laughs> lay back and let the water take us down without worrying about any rocks. Yeah, I yeah, know that's a beautiful, uh, that's after a little steel, yeah. uh, the portage called Little Steel. And often if I have a family or something uh, on a canoe trip and it's it's warm water in August, or, We'll just let the kids swim yeah. and float it with their life jackets while we paddle the canoes down and pick them up at the bottom. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So yeah. much fun. I remember uh, there's a beautiful set of cliffs, I think, down towards the bottom of the river. Would that be right? Yeah, we call that Bald Eagle Cliff. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to research the, the uh, Gonquin name, if we, if we can find one, because it's, it's, a, it's a sheer 500-foot cliff mm. that... Uh, you, there is a hiking trail we've built that goes around the back and you can get up on top of it and look down the valley. Just just so inspiring to look down and mm. especially in the fall when all the colors are different. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that is a real highlight. It's called uh, Bald Eagle Cliff by us again only because we saw a couple of bald eagles floating around there in the 1970s. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and there was a, no other name, but... Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. Describe the feeling for people who haven't done whitewater in a canoe or whitewater at all. What's that feeling like to be in a set of rapids with your partner and paddling hard through frothy water? <laughs> <laughs> Rocks looming. Well, um, the, the, there's, there's two forces, the one that's carrying you downstream and the one that you provide with your paddles. So if you uh, teach yourself uh, sort of the... Uh, the methods of using uh, paddling uh, backwards or sideways or or turning on the edge of a current, we call it an eddy turn, and paddling backwards or sideways is called a ferry, a front ferry or back ferry. If you combine your force against the current's force to make the canoe slide or move to where you want to go, you can avoid most obstacles. Of course, you have to train your eye to recognize a, a a soft obstacle, which is just a wave of water, versus a hard obstacle, which is a ledge or a, a rock that the water's flowing over. So, so there's sort of those two skills, developing the ability to read the rapids and then developing your own teamwork to, uh, to provide forward motion, backward motion, or sideways motion to 
make the canoe go where you want to go. But it's it's like dancing after a while. If if you get the right partner and the right uh, the right skill set, then of course the the new canoe designs are amazing. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's magic. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Is it? I mean, was it an adrenaline rush for you, or where is it for you now? Because you've been doing it for so long. Yeah, unless I go in May or something where where the water levels are huge and the the water's cold, yeah. uh, it's it's more just the joy, the the feeling, yeah. the joy, the memories that that are going on while while we're canoeing. Um, it's not a we're not talking about a uh, remote river. You're, you're probably maybe twelve to twenty four hours from getting rescued in mm. on the Des Moines still, but. In the Northwest Territories, if you're on a trip, you're on a trip. You yeah. have to yeah. figure out how to take care of yourself until search and rescue can get to you, which could be, you know, a long time. So that's you. You don't feel all the pressure that you can feel on other remote rivers. The the, the rapids is class two or three, which is very comfortable. A lot of this class one floating, which is just. Uh, it's just inspirational for your mind <laughs> to relax. And the water's warm. Fishing's great. Mm, the, what are you catching? We're catching mostly pickerel, which are lovely to eat. But there are bass in the river. And uh, if you hike to secret lakes, I'm not going to tell you. But <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there's uh, some nice uh, brook trout fishing in the, in the back country there. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And what kind of wildlife do you see? There's moose, of course. You can see moose. Uh, you don't see them as much on the river as you do in the swampy areas. Uh, but uh, in the morning, you can catch uh, a sight of a moose once in a while. There's black bear. That's the biggest animal in the woods. Uh, but the Des Moines is kept quite clean. There's very good canoe tripping practices by most people. So the campsites aren't dirty and the bears aren't attracted so much to uh, most of the campsites. In the middle section of the river, there is an entire history of, of hunting and fishing clubs owning cabins mm. in the middle section of the river. So you might be a little more likely to run into a raccoon or a skunk or a, right. a bear in, in that section because yeah. they're, they're used to dumps being associated with, yeah. with those sites. Yeah. Um, there's nothing poisonous there. There's bad times for black flies and deer flies and mosquitoes, yeah. but uh, you can adapt to that. Other than that, there's there's beautiful birds, uh, owls, bald eagles, as we mentioned. They're coming back strong after a, a disastrous 1970s mm. DDT and things. So, uh, yeah, the Des Moines uh, today, uh, there's probably about 1,000 people that go down it as canoeists. Over, over per season? Per season. Wow. The season is May to September. Wow. Uh, in my memory, we seem to spread that out a little more than we do today. Mm -hmm. People seem to concentrate a little more in July and August than, than we used to have people go spring, summer, fall. Right. So other than that, I've written a book uh, uh, and now produced a map uh, and a hiking trail that uh, allows you to really, really get in depth into the uh, history. Yeah. There's probably 20 to 25 we can call them artifacts because they're not old enough. They're only 200 years old. But there's carvings of loggers' names in the in the stone, and there's oh, there's uh, old spikes that they used to build the timber slides and the and the different deflection uh, elements along the river that kept the logs moving down. 
and there's old signs from uh, the first surveyors that you can find, and and then you can read about the history. Uh, that uh, yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah. But your book goes right deep into the history, right, going back to the First Nations and just the, how that. That, that history extends thousands of years there. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, I'm not the one that should be telling it. I'm, mm. I'm trying to get the descendants of the Des Moines Band actually dispersed as as the logging moved north. It mm. sort of destroyed their ability to, to have a uh, hunting and fishing lifestyle. So they had to make a choice, and they dispersed to other families either uh, further north or along the Ottawa River. Today, uh, the Wolf Lake First Nation, located uh, at Hunter's Point, uh, has several descendants of the original family, Des Moines family uh, members. So uh, there is still an oral history or a history that I would love to capture to to round out the story of the Des Moines and, and have them tell it as we're doing today. And, yeah, and pass it on. No, it's so important, really, because well, there is yeah. such an oral tradition in in the First Nations, yeah, especially. Yeah, there's there's not a written uh, history like everything I want to look at uh, the Jesuit journals, the mm. the Champlain's journals, everybody's journals. Uh, they're all over the world and, and have been combed over a lot. So, yeah. of course, European tradition is to write everything down right. and to claim everything as as personal ownership. Right. as personal property and that uh, that was not a tradition uh, in the Algonquin nation so so we have a little bit of work to do there yeah so you live up here on Meech Lake and mm-hmm. um, one of our famous residents in the past was Bill Mason who is probably Canada's best known canoeist but I also think he's um I don't think people know as much about him today as they did, say, 20, 30 years ago. And I think that's a bit of a shame. And I'm just wondering, I know you canoed the Des Moines and many other rivers with him. And do you have a favorite story, Bill Mason story? Or... <laughs> yeah, Bill Mason was a real mentor of mine. Um, he was 20 years older than me and 50 pounds lighter. So yeah. we, we made the perfect canoe team. <laughs> yeah, you were in the stern. <laughs> yeah, I was in the stern. Um, um, he was an amazing fellow. He he uh, he could tell a story orally or with his paintbrush or with uh, words. He's written several great books on canoeing. So, uh, yeah, we really miss him. But um, he uh, he decided after his last major film uh, to uh, to try to do a few more northern trips. So I had the pleasure of doing a Nahanni trip with him. Wow a mountain river trip and a uh, hood river trip with him. So, uh, but still we, we love doing the, uh, the Petawawa and the Des Moines. So, uh, one of my favorite memories was there used to be, used to have the option of taking a bush plane into, uh, the Des Moines river. That plane would leave Bradley air service, carp airport the first weekend in May, or as soon as he knew he could land with no ice on the lakes. Right. And uh, he was our friend, uh, Ron Bozer, the pilot. And Ronnie would phone, phone us up and he'd say, okay, I'm heading uh, and taking the plane up this weekend. If you want to meet me there, you can, you can pick your river or, and, and do the first trip of the year. So Bill and I would try to get on there with a few other guys. But uh, one year, Bill and I decided to uh, explore a little tributary of the Des Moines called the uh, Sucker Creek. Oh, it's only available when the water is really high. Mm-hmm. It flows in just above Grand Chute, and then we were just going to paddle out to the Ottawa River. Well, 
things went so well uh, doing uh, Sucker Creek, it, it took less time than we thought. So Bill got out his maps and said, well, if we pour tours over here and, and here and here, we can get into the Fildegrand River, which is another tributary of, of the, the Des Moines. So you don't say no to Bill Mason's right. enthusiasm. <laughs> so, uh, of course, I was as enthusiastic as he was. So we... Uh, we did the detour over to the Fildegrand, and and then we ran the Fildegrand for the first time into the Des Moines and paddled out. And that's when you e exit the Fildegrand, you're staring right at Bald Eagle Cliff. So it it was a very memorable three days canoeing with Bill and exploring those three tributaries of the Des Moines. It was, that's that's a happy memory I have of. Uh, of Bill in the Des Moines. Yeah, I mean, he's an amazing, obviously, canoeist and author, filmmaker, and all that. Um, but I, I remember only as a little kid at regattas here on Beach Lake <laughs> back in the day. And, and he's uh, just an infectious personality and a real twinkle in his eye and sort of mischief. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but physically, so he was very small. Yeah. I think he was like 150 and uh, five seven maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his two passions were hockey and uh, and canoeing and art of course but he just dragged you along yeah, there was there was no wasted time with with bill it was all yeah golly gee let's go try this you know? <laughs> and, yeah yeah it was a great but too short uh, section of my my yeah. canoeing career and he, yeah no, but he died he, too young with he, cancer didn't he yes yeah. yes but uh, uh he really uh, helped launch our our retail business trailhead and our, our explorer business called black feather so yeah, yeah. amazing yeah. um uh, it, would you if you were to recommend a movie for people to check out by bill mason which would the one you point them to well his uh his instructional movies uh still stand up you can you can get them uh through the film board yeah, uh, or film board. or through his daughter becky mason and yes, they, uh, the technique he taught there, uh, of course, they, there are suggested advanced moves now, but uh, if you're going to stick with uh, the classic canoe design, like a prospector canoe, then you want to learn the way Bill Mason taught, because uh, it, uh, it was the correct way. And uh, so... Uh, um, I would recommend that you you take his and go look at his instructional videos, Path of the Paddle One and Two. If you want a real a real way to understand Bill's passion from a conservation point of view and just uh, just some beautiful footage, then his feature film called Water Walker yeah. is, is worth is worth a, yeah. an evening of watching. Yeah, beautiful yeah. score too. By yeah, Bruce Coburn. Exactly, right? beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah lovely. The future of the Des Moines sounds good. Right? It's, I mean, it's the last of the wild rivers, but it sounds like it might stay that way. Yeah, the uh, the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society has a very strong chapter here in in Ottawa Hull, mm -hmm. and they have taken on the the three rivers, the Des Moines, the Kalenji, and the War, as a, a major conservation project. Mm -hmm. So yes, Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society and the government of Quebec have done a good job at giving the the three rivers status, and we will try to lobby them to increase the the size of those uh, conservation areas we have a small group of our own called the friends of the des moines and our goal is to try to uh, make the recreational self-propelled experience as pleasant as possible so that's 
keeping campsites clean, keeping portages open and, and instilling a, an ethic in people that use the river, uh, involving the shuttle drivers in, in giving out the same message and and trying to expand the type of user that would, would want to uh, support conservation in Des Moines. And we feel this will be uh, a hiker. So we have created a by reopening an old logging road, we've created a hiking trail from uh, Grand Chute all the way to the Ottawa River. And interesting, along this hi- hiking trail, uh, there is uh, three old uh, lumber camps that were called stopping places mm-hmm. where in the, in the 1880s, all of the supplies had to be brought into the shanty camps by horse and sleigh. So yeah. there is this magnificent... A road that we've uh, rediscovered and uh, along it there were three uh, places where uh, the, there would be stables and places for the men to sleep at night every about 10 kilometers so so we're really trying to uh, paint this picture up so people can really understand what, mm-hmm. what that era of the history was about and we're also working with Wolf Lake First Nation to get them uh, to tell their story Great. so that we can really understand that too. So yeah, very exciting times for an old canoeist to turn into a hiker. It, yeah. it, it had to be a good trail and it really is. Hope everybody enjoys some sort of combination. Yeah, There is a neat trip you can do now where you can hike up from the Ottawa to Grand Chute, have your canoes delivered there and paddle back down. So uh-huh. how, yeah. long, how long is that hike? Then? That would be about uh, a five day combination. Two days each way and huh. a little rest day in between. Yeah, yeah. nice. That yeah. sounds fun, actually. Yeah, it is. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Last question I ask everyone on this podcast is what your favorite place in Canada might be. And it could be the Des Moines, but it doesn't need to be. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's so many. I, I, I just went to Cabot. I'm a bit of a golfer, too. Yeah. <laughs> so I just went to Cabot Lynx, and, and the whole Cabot Trail, it was just blew me away, the, the drive around the... Uh, Cape Breton. Cape Breton, yeah. Um, I've uh, been to the the top of Western Brook Pond in uh, Newfoundland in in Gros Morne. That that's just a a spectacular view place. You know. And uh, Wilberforce Falls on the Hood River and Virginia Falls and Nahani. Nahani yeah. and uh, yeah, there there are so many. Uh, Great highlights. Uh, I don't think you'd be disappointed on any trip. We were we were just talking about the Wind River. How yeah, that's amongst all those Peel River tributaries is is the easiest uh, from a canoeist point of view. But uh, I'd rank it right up there in terms of uh, beauty and, oh, and yeah. hikeability and and paddling. Uh, Wildlife, yeah, everything was spectacular on it. So. Yeah, no, the upper reaches of that coming out of the Mackenzie Mountains, it's just yeah. gorgeous. gorgeous. Every bend, it's just yeah. a new scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So get out there. It doesn't matter where your place is. Get out there and, and find one and, and fall in love with it and try to save it, yeah. protect it. Yeah. Yeah. Paddle there if you can. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, Wally Shaver, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you. That's Wally Schaber. His book is The Last of the Wild Rivers, the past, present, and future of the Rivière du Moyne watershed. And I hope all of you take Wally's advice and go out and find that special piece of wilderness out there. Thanks to you all for listening. And please be sure to rate and review where you listen. It helps us to reach a wider audience with these interviews. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, 
when we'll explore again. I'm David McGuffin. I think right now we're enjoying very much looking back at the Earth, and it's just a fantastic experience, and I just can't wait to get back and start telling people We left Simpson about June 10th with the Fur Brigade, consisting of a number of yacht boats, each manned by 10 voyageurs. For us, it means, it means that the new oral history is very strong. Every little over every inch of the country that it could be, we were hoping that he would fire at us. Oh, I guess 160 lives or so. There are shrimp fish swimming around outside. It gets just fabulous here. Well, I'm a first for Canada.